This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Hey, are you enjoying the light of all these glistening particles and want more? I've set up a Patreon page where you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month and get even more unique and new content. You'll find things like the bi-weekly pie series, which is super new, chat forum, live hangout sessions, even co-hosting opportunities, and more. There are so many rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash glistening particles. Literally every subscription helps. Thank you for supporting my passion and allowing these stories to be shared far and wide. In this episode, I'm so happy to have back Heather Mann, who was the author of the book Ocean of Insight, A Sailor's Voyage from Despair to Hope, talking about her experience of sailing the Atlantic with her husband for six years. Heather, first of all, is just absolutely delightful, but it was so cool to hear the other side of this like when we talked with her last time it was right as the book was about to be uh, published and so we got to catch up with her again and hear what it's like afterwards and how things go from there so with that here's Heather hey listeners I'm back today with Heather Mann who was with us quite a while ago welcome back Heather thank you Jane it's nice to be here so let's start with this is what I'm mostly curious about because I kind of hope someday to write a book myself I don't even know what it'll be about, but have ideas. And I was wondering what it was like to, uh, we, we met with you last time just before your book was launched and you were going out on your book tour. So can you share with everybody what that experience was like to be on that side of it? Well, you know, that's a, a huge uh, question because that's um, the book actually came out on election day when Donald Trump came into office and ironic, I think it, ironic, ironic. Yes, mm. it was. Um, the book is Ocean of Insight, A Sailor's Voyage from Despair to Hope. And actually, that was the day when many people started a voyage from despair to hope. <laughs> way, way so, great, to, great way to put that. <laughs> yes. So I was surprised to have the book received in that light. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lot of interest in what can we do and how can we Um, hold our hearts and minds together, our communities together Mm -hmm. at this time of turmoil. And I enjoyed um, the book tour, um, many legs of it. One of them started up in the Northeast, and then I I, um, had another leg that was uh, basically from Vancouver, British Columbia, down to San Diego, and then a third leg that was in the Midwest. And then, of course, you know, living in the Charleston area, I was doing a lot of um, touring in the southeast to southeastern states. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a, poss- a a chance to really talk with so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the extraordinary part about the experience 
was um, the the turmoil that people felt um, with the sudden change and sort of the, the confusion mm-hmm. about what does this mean? And and I thought the world was one way and it seems it's a very different way. And um, what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. So um, the book really was at an interesting point in history. You know, Definitely, to, especially yeah. considering your focus, you know, what you really wove into all of the chapters of the book is your care of our environment and the world and the earth, I guess mm-hmm. I would put it that way. And mm-hmm. then for you to come out and be talking with people at that specific time when we were all kind of like shaking in our boots, I think. I remember, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, I remember meeting you. It was I felt so lucky to meet you in person in Madison. That was such a joy mm-hmm. to go there with my brother and his wife and, mm-hmm. and see you speak and be thinking, oh, I know all about <laughs> this, you know, just to see the and it was a full house, and everybody was so mm. eager to hear your stories. It was mm. really an amazing gift. And I, I really haven't gone to a lot of um, events like that where authors are reading from their book, and it was very moving um, just mm. hearing more of it with you. So were you able to, like, give them hope or give them ideas of what to do to get that stability again as you talked with people? Yeah, and um, I think that that is sort of the point is that, we we have our heartbreak, um, whether it's because of politics or whether it's because of what we're seeing in our environment or whether it's because of something that's happening in our personal lives. But we can actually um, practice something that Joanna Macy calls active hope. Mm-hmm. And that has three steps. The first of it is to really pay attention and monitor reality and not hide from what's going on, but lean into it. And the second is to um, be really clear about the idea about the world that we want to manifest, Mm -hmm. what we're taking a stand for, what we want to bring about. And then the third step is to do the simple thing that is in front of you to do. And so here we are, you know, at this time in history, which is so pivotal, and it's really calling on us to define Um, to not close our eyes and to define what it is we do stand for and then to do the simple thing in front of us to do. So, you know, that's just one of many lessons in the book. I actually, I also got um, incredible messages from people that I didn't have an opportunity to meet in person. And I'm thinking about one fellow um, who was down in the British Virgin Islands during Hurricane Irma. Mm -hmm. And his job was to stay with a hotel as the eye of the hurricane passed right over. And he was the only person left on the island. And he wrote me because he said that he had started my book and had been reading it. But that night, he and his cat were there in the hotel as Irma passed over. And um, as the wind was gusting to 222 miles per hour, he just read the book and went deeper and deeper into the stories. Mm-hmm. And I wrote him back and I said, I am so honored to have been with you during that experience mm-hmm. because, you know, we, we, I know what it is like to be at the mercy of the Atlantic right. when it's raging. I haven't experienced a hurricane going overhead, but I have ex- certainly experienced mo- um, moments that just shake you to the core mm-hmm. and to have, um, the opportunity to have shared that with them and even to have offered some perspective Mm -hmm. about how this can get better. Mm -hmm. We 
can actually make our lives have meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. And we can work with these forces and um, with a, from a place of humility and awakeness to, you know, where, what the earth is giving us in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was just so very happy and touched that he contacted me and reached out, you know, with a message of thanks for, for writing the book. And um, I just, I, I, this experience has been filled with a number of small stories like that, big stories and, mm -hmm. and just the chance to meet people. So it's been a great um, opportunity to share the book with people. You know, as you were telling that story, I could feel the emotion in you and what that must have been like for him. I mean, I was goosebumps everywhere as you were telling that that specific example, because you hit the nail on the head of when we do the thing we love and we follow that voice inside of us to create something or do something that we just feel compelled to do, you felt compelled to write that book. Maybe that one person needed to have that at that moment to get mm -hmm. them through the actual real storm. You know what I mean? Some of us call uh, smaller events the storm of our life, but that was a real life or death moment of storm. And I mean, like you would have never known that. You could never no. know that that's what that that's what that person was going to need. Just like every time we do something out of kindness and goodness and for the greater good, we don't mm -hmm. know how that's going to trickle down and be there just for that person at the right time. I mean, if someone doesn't know why, that is exactly why you do the thing you're called to do, mm -hmm. just to get it out there for that person. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. such a good story. Ugh. Well, and I know that um, your podcasts are the same thing, Aww. that you're reaching out to people and you can't even begin to imagine how your gifts are landing in the hearts and minds of other people. Exactly. That's what and, I hope. Yeah. That's what I hope for, that there's yeah. someone who's going to hear these stories and yeah. it'll touch them at the right moment at the right time. I know other people have created work that's hit me that way, even with books, especially where I'll pick a book up and it's oftentimes about life changing, how to you know navigate life and things like that. And I'll read them or I'll start to read them and they won't make sense to me in that moment. And then three years later, I pick it up again. And I'm like, Oh, right. That's what they were saying. I get it now. Now this is me. I'm jamming this one out. So um, it's all about just getting it out there, you know, and as long as all these good things people have to give, it's about getting it out there. Ah, so has this led you to want to be to write another novel? Or are you working on something new? Or that was a memoir, so it wasn't really a novel. It was a true right. story. Right. Right. It is it is a memoir. Um I actually felt called to write the memoir because I had something very clear that I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And um, I still have um, the, um, I'm still involved in the saying of it, you mm -hmm. know, so I'm, I'm still involved in, in sharing the stories and, and reaching out. And I'm also engaged in some other activities. Mm -hmm. So I probably will at some point when I have the next thing I want to say, I, I have some ideas, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, uh, hurrying that process. Oh, okay. I got it. Yeah. I think kind of enjoying it, continue to really enjoy it, enjoy what you have out well, there. Enjoy. And also I think there's something really authentic about the writing process that, mm -hmm. you know, it's a way of, of reaching out and just saying, Hey, look at this. Right. And unless you know really clearly what the, this is that you want people to look at, it's like, well, just sit with it a little bit longer and, right. and, and make sure it's clear in your mind. So Hmm. Yeah. And yeah. the writing process can also clarify. So I don't mean to say that it has to be all, you know, buttoned up and perfect before right. you write. But. Right. 
You know, I remember when we spoke the first time, I, there were a couple messages that you brought forth in that conversation. One of them was about impermanence. And I remember mm-hmm. at the time, it was the exact thing I needed to hear that day because I was going through something sad in my own life and I needed to be to rem- it was that that uh, be remembering that and being reminded of that is that just as the joyful things that we have are impermanent, so are the hard things or the sad things. And, you know, there'll be a new a new wave coming. And um, I really appreciated that story. Did you find that um, there were specific threads in your book that people most often came back to and commented on? Mm. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because that section on impermanence, um, I just found out today what's being featured in Lion's Roar magazine. It's a national Buddhist <laughs> magazine. It's like, oh, and I, I actually uh, had a friend email me and say they just read it. So I went on my phone and I looked it up and I reread that chapter and I made myself cry. Oh, <laughs> I said, oh, that's so true. <laughs> what a weird synchronicity, though. We all have to admit that, right? Like that yeah. I brought that piece up of the entire book because it's a pretty it's a pretty thick uh, memoir there. And that's mm-hmm. the one that I stuck with. So how funny. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I'm going to have to look that up again and read it again. You'll have to send yeah. me that link. So what was um, the magazine again? Lions? Lions Roar. Lions Roar. And okay. if you look up, just I searched Lions Roar, Heather Lynn Mann, and okay. the excerpt from the book came up. Okay, I'll look at it again. I want to yeah. read it again. Yeah. It's just, it, it's a moment when I had been out sailing on the longest leg of our journey. It was 15 days offshore. Mm-hmm. And we had many ups and downs. And, you know, I had illness and I had, you know, wellness and I had the boat breaking and the boat being strong and just so many things came and went and emotions came and went. I watched this constant parade Mm -hmm. of impermanence that every time we set the sails up moments later, the sails would be, you know, in the wrong position. And so there was this constant sort of upheaval happening, the stirring of the yogurt that we had to constantly monitor and be vigilant over. And by the time we were, I had land in sight. I was um, in a completely different place than, you know, emotionally and physically and spiritually mm-hmm. than I had left. Mm. And I, it's basically this excerpt is from the point in time when I realized I had to go back to land again and I didn't want to. Oh, yes. Oh. And so, you know, then I had all those memories of society and what I, you know, the right. different ways I'd have to form and, you know, be and how it's so simple on the ocean. Right. That you get what you get and you just deal with what you get right. and there's no blame and there's no anger. It's just present moment. Right. And so mm-hmm. anyway, it's a, it, there's a lot to that particular excerpt. And I, I, I think I cried because a combination of memory, but also a, a reminder that um, the moment that we're in is so fragile. Mm. And it's so beautiful, even if it has pain in it. Mm-hmm. And that we're living in the midst of such a mystery. Isn't that, that the truth? Every day, you just don't know what's going to be next. Yeah. Like you think and, you know what you want. You think you plan. You think you organize. You think, yeah, this is the path I'm on. And it's just like one boulder after another kind of hop yeah, over that well, one now. No go around that one. I know. <laughs> And it's the path takes, is an illusion. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It's just yeah. right now. That's all it is, is right now. Right. Yeah. Have you found that um, 
you've gone out sailing again. That was my question. Have you gone mm-hmm. out sailing again? After six years, for people who haven't known the full story, you were out for six years on the Atlantic, correct? Yes, we did come to shore most nights, but um, <laughs> we, we traveled the Atlantic for six years, and um, it was an extraordinary time. And then we sold the boat, moved back to land, um, moved from um, Madison to Charleston, mm-hmm. Because I felt called to be on the front line of the climate challenge Mm -hmm. and knew that there were things happening on our coasts that were um, more urgent in in terms of people's um, understanding of the the climate challenge than, than, you know, some folks in the Midwest, we could be a little comfortable. Mm -hmm. And um, on the coast, we're actually underwater um, good portions of the year. Um, So moved to Charleston and got involved with some organizations and then looked at my husband and said, we really need another boat. (laughs) (laughs) How long did that take? (laughs) It took three years. Oh, okay. And yeah, we did. We bought um, another boat and brought it down. Well, actually, interestingly, we we had an offer on a boat down in Marathon, Florida, Mm -hmm. which was pretty close to where Irma hit land in in in, uh, Florida. And the boat was destroyed. Oh. And so we ended up not getting that boat, but getting one up in New Jersey and bringing it down last fall to, okay. to Charleston. So Have you been out? Yeah. Yes. We sail to Charleston Harbor quite often uh-huh. and uh, go out into the ocean occasionally. And mm. it's it's a good boat. It's it's um it's a good harbor boat. It can uh. do the ocean. We can go to the islands. So it's a really good boat for us. But it's, you know, the boat we had, sailing vessel Wild Hair, was a strong tank. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, you, it would pretty much take anything, uh-huh. almost anything that the ocean could give us. So, And this one, different... maybe, this one's not of that same caliber? This one, this one is a little bit more care. It needs to be, um, you know, choose your windows of when you're going with a little more care. Okay. Um, they're both good boats, though, so we're very happy. For those of us who don't know a lot about boats, the question I would always ask is, how big is the boat? So how big were the two boats? Or it was the one and the new one? The, our um, first boat, uh, Wild Hair, was at 45 and a half feet, and this one is 38 feet. And what is this one's name? This one's Nutshell. Nutshell. And it's actually a quote from Hamlet that struck me years ago. Mm-hmm. It says, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space. Aww. And you named the boat. This is your yes. name? Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And we're a couple of nuts. So it I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I, I met your husband as well. So I was. Yes. I, can, I can sort of agree with that. Actually, I enjoyed him so much. It was such a pleasure mm-hmm. to meet him. And the fact that you, the both of you were traveling together was so nice because it didn't happen every time, right? He didn't go on every right. junket. Right. No, the, it was great. Much more fun when he was with me on book tour. Mm, I bet. It, it's kind of lonely. Like people make it look so glamorous, but I don't think it, there's a lot of glam to it. It's a lot of getting to places. and Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of logistical concerns. I had the wonderful opportunity, though, to stay with many, many friends along mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm part of the the community of Buddhist practice that was developed by Thich Nhat Hanh. So I had a chance as I was going into towns to actually call up mm-hmm. local groups and say, hey, you know, we're, we're in the same family of spiritual practice and I'm coming into town and 
Um, might I speak with your meditation community and might there be a place for me to stay? And so I ended up really meeting a lot of folks in our community. And the beauty of that was to really see um, the nuances of similarity and difference. Mm -hmm. Right. The practices and all of that. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm hoping that when I decide to go out on the road, I can um, maybe lean in on some glistening particles so <laughs> absolutely. Hey, I'm coming to Charleston. You got a place to absolutely. stay. <laughs> You've got a place to stay here. <laughs> hey, speaking of Charleston, though, one of the things that I was when you say that it's part underwater, how come we never hear about that? I don't hear about that out here in, you know, Wisconsin. Nice. But you said it's a common occurrence. Yes. Um I think you don't hear about it because we're still trying to figure out what's up. Oh. <laughs> And the reality is that this is happening in coastal cities up in, uh, all around the United States. Um, the the sea level, because of the warming planet, has actually, the sea has expanded and it's already raised eight inches. Okay. And for most areas, that's probably not that big of a deal. But when you have a low-lying community like the peninsula of Charleston, what happens is that when we have the, the what's called a king tide, it's a a layman's term for when the moon lines up just right and mm. the tide is exceptionally high, we end up having what's called sunny day flooding. Okay. So it's not associated with any storm. Okay. And back in the seventies, we would have on average two days of flooding in Charleston. Uh-huh. And last year we had 58 days of sunny day flooding where the streets are just underwater and you can boat on them. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. And then by 2040, it's projected that half of the days of the year, Charleston will be underwater. So when you say underwater, like how far inland is that? Is that like a block or a mile or? It depends on where you are because, um, you know, it's all the um, elevation above sea level Mm -hmm. that is at play here. Um, so it can go quite far in if you've got a, a like a riverbed that's going in, it can flood okay. up into that. Um, what we see in Charleston is that there are areas that used to be rivers mm-hmm. that were filled in, you know, hundreds of years ago by mm-hmm. just urban waste, mm-hmm. dead horses and the like, and, okay. and then built on. Okay. And of course the, the compost that has, they were built on has um, eroded okay. and disintegrated. And so there is a sinking and, you know, these places are returning back into their original sea level rise. So or sea level, uh, level above sea. So right. when we see the rising water, it tends to be worse in those places that have had bad infill. Okay. So, but no, we're talking about large parts of Charleston. I did a, um, a sermon actually to the Unitarian church in um, downtown Charleston. And I shared with the congregation, this was on earth day. Mm-hmm. And I shared with the congregation, a study that I find really disturbing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't share it to upset people. Mm-hmm. You know, I offer this as a way to say, there's information that's here. Mm-hmm. Science is a form of insight. It helps us to look deeply into the nature of what is past our usual sense perceptions. Mm-hmm. And what scientists are telling us is that um, we have um, enough emissions in the atmosphere to date that by the time we see their full effects, 
at least 25% of the land area of Charleston will be underwater all the time. Hmm. That's so there's this so lag great. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lag time between the amount of emissions that we have and the greenhouse gases and then the effects that we see. Mm-hmm. And there was a reporter in Charleston that came across this and wrote to the journalists and said, well, you know, um, we're not stopping. This is a 2015 study. We're not mm-hmm. stopping emissions today. Mm-hmm. What's the best case for Charleston? And he said, well, if we are aggressive and putting on the brakes, at best, we'll be able to save half of the city wow. from being underwater all the time. And I find this to be amazing that it is not public knowledge, right. that there is so much uh, other noise that's going on at, in our, our public discourse, mm-hmm. that this is not being um, spoken about, mm-hmm. and that this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you look at Miami and you talk about the king tides, you know, mm-hmm. the sunny day flooding. They are way ahead of Charleston and what they're experiencing. Um, I, I won't quote because I, I haven't confirmed it, but I, I know that it's an exponentially worse problem in Miami in terms of the number of days that they're wet. And but again, we don't hear this. That's what amazes me. I've never heard this other than speaking with you. It's not, although I don't watch the news, but I still kind of catch enough, a general feed of things that this didn't mm-hmm. come across my line of sight. So I'm wondering, well, we have, oh, God. We have um, decisions that are being made, like the weather channel mm-hmm. um, has decided not to talk about, climate change in this way is a source of a lot of the storms that we see happening because, you know, they have, um, advertisers. Mm. So it really comes down to so many of these decisions about what we talk about being shaped by maintaining the economic system that's currently in place. Right. And so what do we do about that? Well, what I'm wondering is what do we, what's going to happen with Charleston? Like, now that there's more awareness or the fact that, you know, there are more days where there's um, sunny, sunny day flooding. Mm-hmm. What happens like those houses or those businesses that are underwater? Are they, what are they doing? Are they moving? Well, are they, we have, we have in the United States, um, FEMA has mm-hmm. a flood insurance policy that they offer to um, folks who are building and living in floodplains. Mm-hmm. And they it is offered through the federal government because the private sector won't insure mm-hmm. these properties because there's too much risk. Right. And the FEMA um, policy is that they will offer money for rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And people say, actually, we had Hurricane Joaquin. Since I've lived here, we've had Hurricane Joaquin one year followed by Hurricane Matthew, followed by Hurricane Irma, then Matthew. And the people have been flooded out three years in a row, and they've said, and they've rebuilt, and they're saying, no, actually what we'd like to do is have support to move. Mm-hmm. And FEMA says, we can't give you money to move. We can't buy you out. We're just going to continue to rebuild. And this is happening from New York City, you know, and points north that have been suffering from Sandy all the way around the coast. That's absurd though. Yes. Why, why is, uh, (laughs) this is my, this is my, and I, I know there's so many things in the world that are absurd and I know there are things I probably do that people will view as absurd, but it just seems like such a waste of money. Well, let me tell you a little bit about how I am responding to this. Okay. Uh, 
as somebody who sees the absurdity of it and who had understands the impermanence even of absurdity. Right, right. <laughs> I have some confidence that we still maybe can figure something okay, out. Okay, good, good. Yes. So um, here in Charleston, um, people have responded to these big storms by saying, gee, our government knew about it since 1984 and they haven't done anything. We need walls. We need mm -hmm. to have pumps. We need to have better storm management systems. And that may be true. That's a way of adapting to right. the rising sea level, but it's not a way of stopping the sea from rising. It's the sea. It's the it's, sea. It's not. That is rising because of our actions, right. because we're putting this stuff up into the atmosphere. So right. unless we stop that, right. the sea is going to continue to go up and up and up. Right. And it's still so, the sea. It's got a lot more power than a river or a, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we will lose right. our city right. if we don't stop the basic pollution. Right. Okay. So we can point a lot of fingers to say, well, we need cleaner energy and we need, and truly we do. Right. But that can feel really disempowering as one person because I can't make green energy, you know, happen for my city. Right. Um, I can only take care of what I do. So what has happened is we put together an organization called Higher Ground, Rising okay. to Meet Our Environmental Crisis. Hmm. This is an organization that's working in the greater Charleston area. And we're looking at our individual lifestyle choices, what mm -hmm. we're already doing daily, you know, day in and day out, and whether or not it's helpful or harmful. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited because there is a workbook that has been developed over time by the mm -hmm. Empowerment Institute. Okay. And the workbook is called Low Carbon Diet how to lose 5,000 pounds in 30 days. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so great about it is it's just a menu of choices. Okay. You start out by taking a look at your household carbon footprint. Right. And then you look at all the choices you can make that you can subtract out pounds that you're emitting each year. Mm -hmm. And then you figure out what your plan of action is going to be. The program works in small groups of five to 10 people per group. Mm -hmm. And the program meets for four sessions mm -hmm. where people go through this process. And then when you're done, you have a hard number about where you started and where you're at now and a whole bunch of ideas about how you can make choices in the future. What's really interesting about this model, too, is that if you, for example, realize, oh, I could take public transportation, that would be a slam dunk. I could, you know, mm -hmm. save on my transportation emissions mm -hmm. and then you look at your transportation options in a community like charleston you mm -hmm. go oh our public transportation system is really lacking i mm -hmm. can't do that now you are a constituent mm -hmm. for better public transportation because right. you understand what role it has in society and you realize that if it was available to help you navigate your day it would be something that would be empowering for yourself and healing for the community. Mm -hmm. So I like this program. I, I really am inspired by the work that Higher Ground is doing because we're not waiting for government to do this. Mm -hmm. We're taking individual action. And this is meaningful, measurable, like real right. stuff. We're also um, working with neighborhood groups. We're working with nonprofits. We're working with businesses and 
we're working with churches throughout mm-hmm. the city. This is the Holy City. That's mm-hmm. its nickname. Oh. And this is an opportunity for us as spiritual people who mm-hmm. love this place to stand up and lean into our deepest values and to um, bring about the world that we're hoping that we realize someday actually creating that world here and now. Mm. So that's about standing up. I love that, though, because it's something you can take action on. That's a great, great, great plan. So I have well, some questions. Too. Yes, I have ma'am. some questions. So first of all, um, are other people doing this? Does this exist in other, like, was this just something brand new that was invented and now we can share this with everybody, all the coastal communities or all the the entire, you know, world? Like, or does this yeah. exist? Is this like a... That I this haven't exists. heard about. Okay. Yeah, this exists. Actually, it exists in Madison, too. Um, it why goes why under, don't I know about that? I should Well, <laughs> there you go. It goes under many names. It, it uh, for a long time, was the Cool Cities campaign, where okay. or the the block by block you know, neighborhoods could mm-hmm. transform into low-carbon blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it has been around. There's a whole manual that the... the fellow at the Empowerment Institute, the energy and brilliance behind it is a man named David Gershon. And he's been at this for 20 or 30 years. And he's written a whole manual about how to do this kind of work. It's called um, Social Change 2.0. And so he's got the science behind small group transformation and the, the, um, the, the, the kinds of data points that went into the very simple workbook mm-hmm. that you know boils it down to oh if I line dry my clothes rather than use my dryer I save seven hundred pounds or right. you know, whatever the right. numbers are. So um, it's a fascinating read, you know, Social Change 2.0, okay. and it is the, a companion if you want to look, you know, under the background information to the workbook on which is the low carbon diet. I love that this is something we can share with everybody. And I love that I can go research this myself because one of the things I think is so important for us right now is to start building our communities in our community. You know, I think in my own example, I live in a small neighborhood outside of Cambridge, which is a very small town outside of Madison, which is a bigger city, 250,000 people or so. And we all go like, uh, I work from home now, so I'm more at home, but Everybody gets in their car in the morning and leaves and drives at least 20 to 30 miles or more to get to their office every mm-hmm. day because there isn't public transportation way out here in the middle of, I mean, there's a little bit of ride sharing. You can do like the big, the van if you're all going downtown. There's a van mm-hmm. you can get out here at the grocery store and head down, but there's not public transportation per se. Um, but we're not connected as a community. I have all these neighbors I'm on a pretty quiet street. Like we knew each other when we moved here, but now I'm kind of like, who are all those people, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel safe and I wave at them, you know? Mm -hmm. But what if we could connect as a community, as a small town and try to make change? Even though we're not on a coast, we still Mm -hmm. emit carbon, you know, we still, and we still are very protective of our waters here in the, in the Midwest. There's a lot of things we could do that would be better. So I'm excited about this because kind of want to get something I can do with my son. And this might be something we could kind of tackle together. But the Mm -hmm. other thing I kind of think is, will I get resistance? You know, it's a farming community. We have lots of dairy farms, which I think if I understand right, emit some carbon. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so not to diss them or their, their, their livelihood or anything like that, 
But I'm like, what if we get resistance? Can you even do that on a community level of this size and make change? Yeah, and that's a really interesting question that you ask. Um, the farming, you know, industrial agriculture is not only carbon dioxide emissions, but it's methane emissions, mm-hmm. and that's another greenhouse gas. And so we have to look at that. But the beauty of this is that it's it's not about making right or wrong, mm-hmm. um, and it's about finding ways to communicate that um, find our common ground. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the things that we've been doing is not just going to the progressive churches down here, but really going to the more conservative churches Mm -hmm. and saying, um, we understand that there are values that we share and that the the role of being a spiritual people is not always about conforming to society, but actually building... um, societies and cultures of the church or societies and culture that are reflective of our values. Mm -hmm. So it's not just all about conforming and what values do we share Mm -hmm. and how can we help each other do what we can. So Mm -hmm. for me, the um, way I might reduce my emissions might be taking these three steps Mm -hmm. that might be off the table for you because of your economic situation or your business or whatever. But you know what? There's going to be three or four things over here Mm -hmm. that you'll either see you're already doing, so good for you, marvelous, and then what else might you be doing So to help with the problem? So this is about a net reduction. Mm -hmm. And any of us, no matter where we are or who we are or what we're doing, can look at what our patterns of behavior are on a daily basis and make changes to be part of the solution, Mm -hmm. not just part of the problem. And to me, that level of intimacy Mm -hmm. with this challenge is where we need to be having the conversation. That you have a number, you have a number at the end of the year that you're like, I did that. Oh, win. And and not only that, it wasn't that hard. I can do that same reduction next year and the next year. Right. And I tell you, for me, I hear all of the noise and the bitterness, um, anger, blame that's happening in governmental conversations. Mm -hmm. And it it is turning a lot of people off. It is overwhelming a lot of people. It is um, hard to hear. But if I can look at something right in front of me that I can do, then I can actually take great comfort in that. Absolutely. And that's exactly it. And I think we can all agree that we want to do good things for our planet, like that we mm-hmm. all can agree that these gases aren't good for us. We might mm-hmm. have different opinions on what the long-term impact is. We might have different, some people have different opinions on climate change. Okay. But you know what? It's got to be better for our earth to do less of this, no matter what. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just look at it from that perspective of not trying to agree on everything. And we'll save money in the process. That's even better. We always yeah. like doing that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's one of the direct benefits. One of the um, So I've spent a little time out in California for uh, weeks at a time and this and that multiple times over the last few years. And one of the things that I had to learn right away was um, they don't give you bags at the store. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have your own, you have to bring your own bags. And at first I was like, oh, I'm just traveling, but okay, I'll buy a couple bags, whatever. And then... Uh, it became my habit. And when I came back home, I realized like, why am I taking paper bags or even uh, plastic bags, you know, back in the day? And so 
I figured out a system. It was so simple. Every time I come in with the bags, I hang them on the garage door. So the next time I go out, I put them in the car. And I'm even really hardcore on myself if I get into the store and I forgot them. Oh, well, walk back out and get them. Look at how easy that was. Like I used to think that that was, <laughs> I used to think that that was like, oh, such a hassle to have to go all the way back to my car and get the bags, you know. And now when I'm around, you know, Wisconsin, and that's not like I see all the plastic bags going out the door every time or even mm-hmm. paper bags. Like this isn't that hard. Why or why? And I that's a, one of my lists. I'm like, I wanna I have a question for somebody in Wisconsin who knows the law. Why has that not happened? Do you know why that hasn't happened? Why haven't we made that a law? It's just our consciousness. It's what we're used to and what we're aware of. And right now there is not a broad awareness of this as being an issue. It makes me so happy every time I carry my own bag. Good like, for you, yes. I did my little thing. And that's kind of what you're saying with your book, yes. with the book, the workbook. Like you find your few things that you can do. And it literally gives me joy that I've yes. done this one thing. Well, and I'd like to share just one other piece of what we're doing here in Charleston, because I think it's um, an important piece of the conversation. And that is that we have in our community folks who have been um, historically of modest means that are living in some of the lowest lying places who have not contributed to the, you know, through their consumptive lifestyles through to the climate challenge, but who are taking the brunt of the early flooding and the early destruction of these storms. So um, these are historically black communities. They are in um, very old neighborhoods that are um, just going underwater. Mm -hmm. And what we're interested in is um, helping to highlight and and give voice, have people share their voice in this conversation by going into the communities and saying, would you join us in measuring your carbon footprint so that we can see that there's a difference between lifestyles of some members of our society and other Mm -hmm. members of our society but just as a baseline, and then not to say, here's ways you can reduce your carbon emissions, because that's not right. But to say, how can we help with disaster preparedness? Mm-hmm. And there is another workbook that is coming out of the Empowerment Institute that's all about disaster resilience. And it's about how to prepare for storms, how to prepare for loss of power and fires and all the things that are that we're looking at in terms of this vulnerable area. And how can we also protect those folks in our community that um, are elderly or young, mm-hmm. that may not have um, easy ways to evacuate, that um, may be the most vulnerable? Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, we can't actually have a conversation about the impacts of sea level rise and the changing climate on the low country without understanding it has a different impact on people depending upon, you know, where the the resources that they're coming to the challenge with. Mm -hmm. And there is a real justice issue here. Mm -hmm. And Pope Francis actually speaks brilliantly to it when he understands that, you know, biblically, we're to protect the least of these and that folks, you know, and the wealthy nations owe a debt to the poorer nations Mm -hmm. and those in society that have abundance have a debt and a responsibility to help those who don't have abundance, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just wanted to just speak to that as well, because that climate justice piece is very important here in Charleston. 
I love that part of the story, though, because I don't think we think of it from the economic, the individual economic perspective. We think mm-hmm. of it on the bigger perspective. We think of it as taking care of yourself, but we don't think of it about taking care of others, at mm-hmm. least from my experience. Yeah. Um, you brought up another piece, though, that I was um, going to ask about, which is around the community, like how we get people to have more conversations across community. Do you find, so what are you doing to um, bring those two groups together? How are you doing that in your area in Charleston? Aside from you're helping them with ideas, but are you able to bring those two communities together? Well, we're working on that and we're actually finding our way. And we did um, something right off the bat, like we were the uh, referring to us ourselves as the um, climate change committee or the climate change initiative or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, wait, 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 stop. <laughs> <laughs> we sound very fancy. Yeah. And well, if we come out of the gate talking about climate change, we're only going to be right. hearing or being heard by those people who want to hear about climate change. Yep. So we renamed ourselves Higher Ground. Right. Right. Which is, affects everybody. Right. Right. And so that's like one way. There's some beautiful work being done by Catherine Hayhoe, who is a climate scientist and evangelical. And she has done some great translation work. Mm -hmm. For example, um, did you know that caring about the environment was caring for people? I did not know that. It makes sense, though. It absolutely is. Right. Because, you know, part of the reason why I'm so called to to try and protect Charleston Mm -hmm. is that the history of this place and the people in this place and the lifestyle and culture that has emerged here from hundreds of years Mm -hmm. of of um, of living is is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart to think that all that would get washed away. Right. Or get turned into a, a theme park where only a few bits of high ground become a tourist destination. Right, right. You know? Well, that that uh, statement that you made makes me think of, um, like, when my mother would care for our home, she was caring for her people. Yes. You know? So it's the same yes. kind of thing. Caring for our environment is caring for our people at large uh, across the globe. Yeah. And so there's been a false dichotomy that people have said, well, you know, how can you care about the environment when there's children going hungry? Mm -hmm. Well, I understand that. And it's not a choice to that we have to make for one or the other. I understand that if we do not have a world where agriculture continues to thrive Mm -hmm. and farmers can continue to produce the very food that we eat, that we won't be able to feed children. Exactly. They're all connected. Yeah. They're all connected. You know, one of the things I noticed that you did in this conversation that I don't remember from the last time is you you leaned in a little bit more to your faith and church and religion. I don't know if religion is the right word, but that sort that side of spirituality versus we talked, I think, a little bit more about Buddhism last time. And I wondered if something has changed for you from that perspective as far as your spiritual beliefs. Um, I am still very much um, a student of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, mm-hmm. who is a, a Buddhist, um, but he teaches uh, an mindfulness in secular ways. So he has done a beautiful job translating these ancient wisdoms 
for Western audiences mm. in ways that we can hear and understand and, and learn from. Mm -hmm. So that I think is the core of my spiritual practice. And I don't, I, I don't get too involved in religion. Mm -hmm. Um, I was raised Christian. I still consider mm -hmm. myself to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't have a problem swimming in that okay. um, world either. Right. You really, you really um, crossed back and forth quite with quite grace, yeah. with quite a bit of grace. Yeah. It's well, very thank nice. you. And I, I, I don't, I don't um, have any problem with talking about um, taking care of, of the earth or taking, you know, caring for creation. To me, they're very similar things. Right. You know, okay. it all depends on the lens that you're looking through, but it's still about taking care. Okay. Beautiful. And um, the work, I think that what you're hearing is that the work that we're doing here in Charleston is interfaith. Okay. And our leadership team is comprised of, of folks who are Muslim and Christian and, you know, from Judaic traditions mm -hmm. and um, Buddhist traditions. I mean, it's a real um, beautiful, interesting network. Yeah. Right. Nice. So with all of that going on, is there anything else going on in your life right now that you're really excited about, that you're lit up to go after? Well, actually, yeah. And it, it comes down to... <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> Actually, I, yes. <laughs> I've been working on this this riddle of um, how to um, address climate change from two angles. So one of them is from the the secular, you know, looking at my community here that I'm now living in, saying how can I bring community members into um, a moral and ethical relationship with the planet. Mm -hmm. And then I look at my community of people that I practice meditation with who um, are very awake to their um, moral and ethical lives and say, how can I get you to lean into um, your relationship with earth? Mm. And so, you know, the, with that work of, of going into my spiritual community and saying, you know, let's shine a, line here, a light here. Um, I've been very excited over the last many years to be part of a new affinity group within this global um, Plum Village tradition of mm -hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh that has literally thousands of meditation centers around the world. Mm -hmm. And this uh, affinity group is called the Earthholder Sangha, the Earthholder Community. Okay. And we have had, we're now launching our fourth annual retreat. Um, and it's going to be in Minnesota this year. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And you can go to earthholder.org. Okay. And go to our retreat page and register. It'll be August 22nd um, through the 27th. It's a five-day retreat. It will be led by monastics from the Plum Village tradition. And it will be a very, very intimate look at our personal relationship with the earth, how we live and how we are nurtured by it and what we do to nurture the earth in return. That sounds beautiful. It is beautiful. Do you, beautiful have, for it. do you have to be part of the group to come to the event? No. Anybody can no. go? Anyone can go. Um, I encourage you to, to go online and just read the, the um, description about what will be involved. Mm. It's going to be at a beautiful residential camp on the shores of a lake in Minnesota. And um, yeah, we, we're already, um, halfway to our goal of having 200 
registrants and oh my gosh it, that's huge it would be, be tremendous I'm going to check that out. See, this is the thing. Everybody I talk to, I want to go do the thing. If I could do every retreat that I said said I was in love with, I would be um, traveling all the time, which actually would be totally fine with me. Well, sure. <laughs> Except I need to keep working for right now. <laughs> Darn. Darn. Well, this has been so much fun connecting with you again. And I feel like every time we talk, I get this like um, swell in my heart of knowing that there's people like you out there doing the work that you're doing. and that it inspires me to do more. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And Jane, you already are doing enough. <laughs> thank you. And it's just a matter of doing it with your whole heart. Mm -hmm. And you are changing the world. So thank you for what you're doing. It's very beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate it. I look yeah. forward to going for all these references. I'll probably be sending you an email for more information. But just Great. so we can tell the listeners, we know where they can find the retreat at earthholder.org. Um, and mm -hmm. where can they find you? What's the best way to reach you? The best way to reach me is heatherlynman.com. Okay. Yeah, that is yeah. a good way because my email kept going to spam when I was emailing. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> no, it's a weird tech anomaly. I'll have to figure yeah. that out. But anyway, thanks for spending time with me again. And I really look Absolutely. forward to seeing you in person soon again. Absolutely. Well, I hope to see you in Minnesota. All right. That's good. All right. Okay. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, as you can tell, Heather was a perfect person to have back on as part of the 18 episodes in 2018 of people standing up for something. And what I absolutely loved about it was not only just her delightful storytelling, but also the specific tips that she was able to give us, the things that we can do to contribute on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm so excited to see those materials she talked about and also share them out more and more. So I was wondering for all of you, are there ways that you're personally trying to, you know, make your contribution to reduce the effects of climate change, the effects of our choices to, uh, and how it's affecting our world and our climate and all of that? I was wondering if you guys are doing things and maybe there's some more ideas you can share with me. I would love to hear them. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you next time. So, are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.